Welcome back to Well, That's a Problem, a social justice podcast on everyday issues. I'm your host, Abby Naraki, and today we're discussing everyone's least favorite government entity, ICE. That's right, ICE, the agency responsible for breaking up families, putting people in cages, and violating several constitutional amendments in immigrant communities, is causing a new wave of harm via the international student ban. So, while domestic students across the country are being given the option to opt into all online classes for fall semester due to the COVID-19 pandemic, which is still ongoing, wear masks, international students are not being given that same choice. International students are being forced to choose between their health and safety and their education, a decision that a student should never be forced to make. So without further ado, let's get into the details. Monday, July 6th, 2020, ICE issued a news release stating, among other things, that, quote, active students currently in the U.S. enrolled in schools operating entirely online must depart the country or take other measures, such as transferring to a school with in-person instruction, to remain in lawful status. If not, they may face immigration consequences, including but not limited to the initiation of removal proceedings. All right. So if that doesn't raise enough red flags for y'all, folks over at the American Immigration Council, in particular, Aaron, sorry, I'm going to butcher his last name, Michelin Ralnick, um, had a great Twitter thread that helps highlight several of the major problems with this, as well as elevating the voices of international students who have spoken up on the issue. So let's break it down. International students are already a marginalized group on college campuses, whether they be undergrad or graduate students. Their visas are extremely limited and rely on their status as a student in order to stay in the U.S. to pursue their education. And while you would think U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services would be in charge of student visas for international students, it's actually ICE that runs a huge portion of the quote-unquote student exchange visitor program. Why is ICE the one in charge of this program? Why does ICE exist at all? Racism, xenophobia, and The idea that white people feel threatened by having, quote unquote, immigrants of any kind in our country. And that is a huge problem in and of itself. But we're talking specifically about this issue today. ICE is suggesting that unless your program is offering classes in person, you cannot stay in the country and continue to be enrolled in that institution. So they're saying, oh, you know, you can pursue other options like transferring to a university that is offering in-person classes, which first of all, that's not easy. It is not easy to just up and transfer, especially if you're in a graduate program where deadlines have already passed and you need to shore up funding to be able to pay for your education. And I mean, that's also true for undergraduate education. I don't want to say it's necessarily harder for graduate students or pursue some other options. So there's a different options that ICE mentions. You know, maybe your program is offering a hybrid education program where some of your classes are offered in person and some of them are offered online. The problem with this option is that there's not really a lot of transparency about whether initiating hybrid course schedules will allow international students to keep their visas. And this is because there's a lack of transparency about, you know, how many classes and under what circumstances are these hybrid schedules going to help international students keep their visas. 
And as some of my friends have brought up, what happens if you start taking classes and then there's an outbreak of COVID-19 and you have to switch to all online classes that happened to us this spring at Purdue. So is that protected for students? And the I-20 form, the Certificate of Eligibility for Non-Immigrant Student Status. So these universities have to file and go on record saying that the program isn't entirely online, that students aren't taking an entirely online course load, and that the student is taking the required number of credits to make normal progress in their programs. So basically what we're saying here is that universities have to comply with these measures or ask their students to leave. The students will not be able to come back in the fall. So where universities are already scrambling to figure out how they're going to reopen in the fall and if they're going to reopen in the fall, and several universities have stated, look, because of the rising numbers, we don't want to put more people's health at risk. We're going to go all online. That puts international students in a very precarious um, position to have to figure out what they're doing while the university is trying to figure out what they're doing, while ICE is trying to tell them exactly what they should be doing, which is go back to their home country to finish their education if they want to or can figure it out themselves. Another option that people have suggested that the ICE policy kind of suggests is maybe you can file for medical leave or some sort of reduced course load. The problem with this option is these options are usually reserved, first of all, as a last resort and result of a pressing academic difficulty or medical concern. So many might not be able to qualify, like unless you have, you know, a legit medical reason to take a reduced course load, you're likely not going to be able to be granted that by your department, by your university to be able to postpone the number of credits that you're taking to remain in good standing with your department, et cetera, et cetera. And there are other barriers with this as well. Lest we forget, there's a significant travel ban happening right now due to the pandemic. So there's a lot of questions about whether or not other countries' borders are even going to be open to receiving travelers specifically from the United States, whose rates are going up and again and being out of control and whose measures have not been drastic enough to flatten the curve or to get testing available to everyone. Y'all know that there's so many people out there in the United States right now who are not taking this pandemic seriously, who do not recognize the need to wear masks to keep their community safe and things like this. So again, that puts international students in a very precarious position of having to uproot their entire lives to potentially go back to their home countries for the time being until this all gets sorted and then their positions may or may not be waiting for them when they come back. What are they supposed to do about the lease that they just signed for the next year on their housing? These are the types of questions that we really have to be asking ourselves when we are thinking about how this is going to disproportionately impact international students who are already disproportionately marginalized in university settings. Right? There's just so much more to manage to make this happen. And, you know, there are a lot of barriers to taking online classes from their home countries. Time differences may present barriers to joining synchronous online lectures and discussions. If you live in a country like South Korea, that is around 12 hours different from the United States, then your classes that happen in the middle of the afternoon are not happening in the middle of the night. And you're probably just going to be expected to have to join it unless your professors are offering asynchronous classes or online content. There might be internet connection issues. We don't want to assume that everyone is from a country with stable internet connections. And also, 
online-only content often draws on resources that may not be available or accessible in other countries. There are places in the world that censor internet, that do not allow its citizens to use Google Suite, for example, or to view a lot of content on YouTube or Facebook or other things like that. And that severely limits the accessibility of these online content courses for international students. So the big takeaway here is that ICE, like the rest of the United States immigration system, is using this pandemic to justify the marginalization and removal of students. This is a trend that has been ongoing since the pandemic began, and obviously other immigration issues were happening before in other ways. So I say again, hashtag abolish ICE. And now I want to talk about some action items that we can do to push back against the student ban and stand up for international students. Even if we don't know any international students, even if we are not university students, we still have a responsibility and an obligation to advocate for these folks who are going through a lot right now. So one of the big things that we can do is be on the lookout for lawsuits. This issue is getting a lot of attention right now, and rightly so, and lawsuits are extremely likely to emerge. And when they do, you can follow them and educate those in your spheres of influence about them. This is really important because this is going to set legal precedent for other international student visa issues in the future. You can also sign the petition to allow international students to finish their degrees. If you go to the link in my Twitter and Instagram bios, there's a link tree link there that has links to a whole bunch of resources that y'all should utilize, but one of them is the link to signing this petition. So I'll make that available to y'all through my link tree bio link. You can also fill your social media accounts with content and use hashtags like hashtag student ban, hashtag abolish ICE, hashtag reclaim your campus, hashtag protect international students, and hashtag let international students stay. Hashtags are really powerful for being able to join in and let your voice be heard on important conversations related to this topic. And these are some of the hashtags that I've come across that activists and other organizers and leaders in the community are using to combat ICE's position on this issue. You can also call your congressional representatives and let them know exactly how you feel about this issue. Uh, and in particular, you should also contact the congressional representatives serving on the committee of the judiciary. They're the ones that have a lot of power in this issue. And if you don't know who your representatives are, this is a great time to learn. Google is a wealth. The internet is a wealth. I will say that over and over again on this podcast. You may have remember me having said this before, but the internet is a wealth. All you have to do is Google, who is my representative? And literally the internet will help you figure it out. You can also pressure your, your universities and professors. Again, this is more specifically if you are a university student to make commitments to prioritizing international student protection and well-being. Several have already taken actions to do this, but we need more. There are several universities who have come out and saying, you know, we are going to do X, Y, Z to make sure that international students can continue to stay in the country and complete their education. 
There are also professors who are offering independent studies in person that will qualify them to stay in the country and continue their education while also being able to maintain social distance and prioritize their health and safety. Again, celebrate those professors in your community who've already pledged to do this. Spread the word that they are doing this in case international students aren't aware that they are doing this. And also, again, continue to talk about these issues so that your university is forced to make these accommodations readily available for students. Because this is a time where people who are not affected by international student bans need to stand up in favor of those who are and advocate for them and say, this is unacceptable. This is not going to work for us. This is what we need you to do. And I'm going to get so many of my people to talk about this that you're not going to be able to say no. For those of us who are not international students, this is something that's really important to do. It is an issue that does not affect us in the same way that it affects international students. And this is a burden that we can take on to advocate for them. A lot of times we don't feel like we are educated enough or we know what to say or what to do. But that's where this podcast comes in because I'm hoping that y'all will be able to say, hey, I just listened to a podcast on this. I know enough about what's going on to take that next step, whether that's educate yourself, follow some of those hashtags that I listed that I'm going to tag when I post this on social media and continue to read other people's voices about this and really be able to connect with their stories and the issues that are coming up because I definitely wasn't able to cover all of the issues that this decision brings up for international students. So yeah, I just want you all to feel empowered that you know enough to take the next step to advocate for these students. This international student ban is ridiculously problematic and I feel very passionately about this. So I'm letting y'all know, y'all can do this. We can make this happen. Let's go. And with that, I'll catch you next time. Bye.